Welcome to the hub of every nation, as Ntondo has taught us to say. You're, have, you're having influence and impact on me, bro. Um, so good to have you with us. Welcome, kids. Thanks for being here tonight. I believe you're getting your uh, handouts, and you can color in some of those pictures that are representing some of what we're going to talk about. On the back, for kids only tonight, there are cheat sheets, uh, and you've got all your sermon notes on the back there, and there are going to be special slides with your words that are missing coming up as we go along, and so watch out for those. I'll let you know when they happen, and you can fill in those missing words. But we are in part two of our Genesis series tonight. Um, Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter three, and we're going to start reading together from, from verse Three. It's quite easy. It's right at the beginning of your Bible, just after contents. Keep going and you'll see it. Genesis chapter 3, verse 3 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had, God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may not eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. Sorry, we may eat of the fruit in the trees of the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the servant deceived me, and I ate. This is a really tragic story in scripture, isn't it? It's called the fall. And it's really sad. And we see in the scripture how God created intimacy, how man destroyed intimacy. And we'll see a little little later how God restores intimacy. So two weeks ago, Pastor Roger spoke to us from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, and it says there that the Lord said, let us make them in our image according to our likeness. Now, what could be more intimate than the God of creation, the Lord of the universe, literally forming a being that he could put his likeness into? What could be more uh, intimate than, than God creating a creature that he would give his image to bear. That's intimate. That God made us so we would bear his image and be like him so he could relate to us, so that he could know us and we could know him. And God's intentional plan right from the beginning was that we would live in close proximity to him. 
Now, kids, Eden literally means the garden of God. Another word for it is paradise, and it literally was heaven on earth. It's where God and man dwelt together without any boundaries. The Westminster Catechism says it this way, that man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. This is echoed in the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, isn't it? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Eden, God's garden, paradise, heaven on earth. We were meant to enjoy God forever. We were meant to be best friends with God, best buds, walking like this with him forever. Every time I read that quote from the Westminster Catechism, I'm like, to enjoy God forever, hmm, what does that mean? (laughs) Because I feel like so much of my Christian life has been trying to hide away from God, trying not to be judged by God, trying to be good enough for God to accept me and love me. But but I've got it wrong. (laughs) He already does. And so we're going to talk a bit more about the fall, but before we do that, let's actually figure out what we fell from. So intimacy in English, the word literally means a close, familiar, and usually affectionate or loving personal relationship with another person or group. A close association with or a detailed knowledge or deep understanding of a person. Now, when it comes to God and others, intimacy is based in an abiding trustworthiness in the values and character of the other, okay? It is a trust in knowing how the other will respond to me, no matter where I am, or what I've done, or or how I'm being right now. Without trust, there cannot be intimacy. And so where we begin our story in, the t- in chapter 3 of Genesis, up until this point, God has been nothing but good and kind and empowering and engaging and caring and loving and just everything you want in a best friend. That's all he has been. He's been a confidant and a helper to Adam and Eve throughout this. God has been consistent in everything he is. He has not been changeable. He has proven that his values and his character are absolutely immutable, that they stay the same forever. And this also brings us to a point that apart from trust, there can be no intimacy without consistency. I trust what I know. There can be no intimacy without time spent without words spoken, without experiences shared. This is important in creating relationship. And whether it's God or with others, these facts may remain true. And what do we see before chapter three? We see Adam and God speaking to each other. God showing Adam the creation he'd made, sending him out to name the animals. Hippopotamus, we'll have to ask him about that one day. What are they doing? They're spending time together, they're talking together, and out of that talking, they are sharing experiences. Now, when Jesus walked on this earth, who knows that he was fully God and fully man? Jesus didn't float so that his feet didn't touch the dust. 
that he once rebuked somebody because they didn't wash his feet when he walked in the dirt. Why? Because they were dirty. Your feet ever been dirty? Jesus had dirty feet. But what Jesus did is he modeled what it looks like when a human being fully submits to God. And, so, and what we see Jesus doing is consistently pursuing relationship with his father. I think that's because he fully knew who his father was. Luke 4 verse 16 says, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue. As was his custom, he stood up to read. Jesus had a habit of communicating with God. Luke 22 verse 39 says, and he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives to pray. We see him reading the word consistently, praying consistently. What is he doing? He's spending time with God. He's talking to God. And guess what? Him and God are sharing experiences. They're building intimacy. And I want to promise you that if you are looking for more intimacy in your life, whether it's with God, your family, your friends, your loved ones, you do those three things. You spend time with them. You speak to them honestly and openly. We're going to talk more about that in a moment. You, you create shared experiences. Intimacy is going to increase in your life. It is as simple as that. Do it with God. Rabbi Zacharias says this, the biggest battle you will face in life is your daily appointment with God. Keep it or every other battle will become bigger. <laughs> that is very good advice. Now, whenever we move away from God, we are exposed and we have to make a plan to cover ourselves. We make our own covering with fig leaves to cover our nakedness, to cover our fallenness. But Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. And so if we go back to that story, in the middle of Eden, paradise, heaven on earth, this idyllic space where God and man communicate, suddenly what do we see? We see the serpent manifesting. We see him spewing lies. He comes and he speaks lies. He says, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Well, yes, God did say that. And so he's lying. Now, Jesus speaks of Satan in John 8 verse 44, and he says this. He says, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue, his native language, for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. What that means is that all Satan can do is lie. There is no truth in him. Everything he is about is manipulating us out of intimacy. Genesis 3 verse 45 says, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Can you see that his lie is not about the facts, but about the truth of who God is? And what is the lie here? But when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God. What nonsense. We've just read that God made them in his likeness, in his image. They had all his goodness, all his heart, all his love, all his grace, all his joy. There was nobody else in the garden <laughs> but them. They had God completely and thoroughly. 
But the enemy comes and he puts a doubt into their heart. They even had free will at this point. How else could they choose to eat the fruit? God put, put it in them and then put them on the planet. The tree, the serpent, was just an opportunity for them to make good choices. That's all that was happening here. But the enemy came and he twisted something in them. And suddenly they started thinking, what if God is holding out on us? What if there's something more than this paradise? And that's the human condition, isn't it? We always think there's something more. We always think there's something else out there that's going to satisfy us and set us free. And if we just had that, our whole life would be perfect. We're exactly like Adam and Eve. We give them such a hard time. But the truth is, if it wasn't them, it would have been one of us. And so Satan manipulates them, and he's, he's, he's lying to them about who God is, because he knows that lies break intimacy. How does he know that? Well, back in the day, old Satan used to be called Lucifer, and he was a seraphim that literally stood on the, in the most exalted place in heaven, on the on the altar of incense right before the throne of God. And he received the worship of the angels and he amplified it and glorified God. He threw it back at God because that's what he was created to do. It's called the covering cherub. He was in the most intimate place with God. He stood right before the face of the Almighty. But in a moment, pride came up in his heart and he suddenly thought, what if I keep the worship for myself? And he got thrown out of heaven. And so Satan was intimately acquainted with what intimacy with God felt like. And he knew that lies destroyed that because he believed a lie. And this is what he's after. He's after destroying intimacy. And this is the tragedy of Adam and Eve. It's the tragedy of human history. It's the tragedy you and I live in right now, that a lie believed becomes the truth we live from. If I believe a lie, I literally create reality around me as if that lie was true. Now, the other side of believing a lie, it means I actually agree with the lie. I, I might not know better, but I'm choosing to believe the lie. I'm agreeing that the lie is true. And so there's a space where Adam and Eve agree with the serpent, and they fall into lies. In a moment, trust is broken. And suddenly, where they could fully and vulnerably and intimately trust in the goodness of God, now all Adam and Eve have is their own strength and understanding to rely on. Genesis 3 verse 7 says, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And I believe that the nakedness they suddenly saw wasn't just their physical reality. Up until that point, they'd literally been covered by the presence of God, clothed in God himself. I believe that what they suddenly realized was how exposed and vulnerable, how open to attack they really were if all they had to, to rely on, if all they had to protect them was themselves. 
they suddenly realized that this beautiful planet, everything in it could kill them. And like every human being on the planet, not one of us ever wants to stand in a place of vulnerability. Who's had that dream where you rock up up at school or worse church and you forgot to get dressed (laughs) that morning? All of us have had that dream. That dream is about terror of vulnerability. That dream is about terror of being exposed. Every one of us has it. And so what do they do? They run away from their responsibility. They run from what they've done. Who has ever held a fig leaf? Okay, some of you have. So you, you agree with me, it's kind of hard and scratchy. Okay. It's not appropriate underwear material. <laughs> hard and scratchy. The only thing it really has going for it is that it's big. Okay? So you can hide a lot more of yourself away under a fig leaf than, you know, under an oak leaf. But it's not appropriate underwear material. And so... What the fig leaves symbolize is our clumsy human attempt to hold something over ourselves, to hide away our shame, to hide away our failure, to give us meaning, to give us strength. All a fig leaf is is an idol. And you know what they did with fig leaves is they held them in place so nobody would see their nakedness. And this is idolatry. I know it's wrong. I know that thing I'm going to to give me meaning, to make me feel good, to satisfy my need, isn't God. And it's not nearly as good as God. But if I let it go, what do I have? Why? Because we don't know how good God is. We don't trust in his goodness. And so we become our recourse. And we give our power and our authority away to something else. And we're the ones doing that. Now, vulnerability and trust are intimately entwined with faith. You see what I did there? Very intricately entwined with faith. There's a biblical definition for sin, and it comes from Romans 14, verse 23. It says, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because The eating is not from faith. So this is Paul answering a question around, can Christians eat meat that is sacrificed to idols? And Paul is saying, if you believe God is good and powerful enough, and you trust him wholeheartedly for salvation, eat that meat. Nothing's going to come on you. No devil's going to jump on you. But if you have any doubts, if you're thinking that the pagan gods are stronger than our God, don't eat that meat because you're going to be tormented in your mind. That's not a demon, that's you being dumb. And here's the definition of sin. It says, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Without trust, we cannot have faith. And whatever is not of faith is sin. Whatever you are doing that you cannot bring God right into the middle of while you are doing, it's sin. Whatever you do or think or feel or, or experience that you want to hide God away from, It's sin. Why? Because there is no faith. There is no trust. When I'm busy with my idol, I am not trusting God. I can either trust God or I can trust my idol. It's as simple as that. But they cannot coexist in the same space. And I believe that faith is the most vulnerable thing God could ever ask us to do. The vulnerability of faith is this, that it starts in our weakness. It starts in the lack. It starts in the problem. It starts in me not knowing what I'm going to do. 
And God requires faith of us exactly for that reason. Because faith means I have to acknowledge I don't have the answers. I can't do it on my own. My idol isn't enough. My fig leaf is going to crack and fall away, and you're going to see me naked. And faith is vulnerable because faith makes a choice that I will uncover myself before God so that he will never, ever have to uncover me in front of the universe. That is why faith is hard. That is why faith costs you. But if we choose faith, if we choose to make ourselves vulnerable through faith, then intimacy will be restored. Genesis 3, verse 8 to 9 says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? God knew where they were. Of course he knew where they were. Now I want to come back to trust and consistency. That intimacy means I trust wholeheartedly in the values and the character of the one I'm trusting. Now it would seem that this was a habit of God to come in the evening to speak with Adam and Eve. To spend time with them, to talk, to create shared experiences. On the day they eat the fruit, God does not come running out of heaven the second her hand touches whatever the fruit was. It wasn't an apple. A pawpaw, there we go. The unholy pawpaw. Um, <laughs> why? God knows exactly what they're doing. He's, he's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He can see exactly what they're doing. Why doesn't he just come screaming out of heaven and slap her hand away? Because God trusts himself. And you see, before the earth was created, there was a family meeting in heaven. And God the Father called Jesus and the Holy Spirit together. He said, okay, we're going to do this thing. We're going to make us some people. And then they looked at each other and they were like, we know exactly what's going to go down. And then God was like, so what that means is, and before he said another word, Jesus went, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll look after that. I'll sort that out. I'll sort that out for them. Because Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. There has never been a second plan. There has never been a plan B. Jesus was the plan all along. And God put that in place before he created us, knowing full well what we would do so we could be redeemed and restored to intimacy. But it is a choice whether we will be or not. It has been done, but will we choose it? Will we step into it? And so when God says, where are you? He's giving them an opportunity to acknowledge their proximity. The point of this is that God doesn't even run into the bush to grab them out. He's just standing there going, where are you? Because they made a choice to sin. They believed a lie of their own volition. To receive choice, truth, you have to make a choice. It's not magic. You look in your heart and you go, I sinned. I disagreed completely with you and it's a mess. But you are truth. And when I stand in submission to you, joy and peace and grace and hope flood me. 
They had chosen to remove themselves from him. Can you see? God didn't change. Nothing about him changed. There's judgment that comes later, but that's because of the choice they make. Why? Because immediately Adam asks, God asks Adam, what have you done? See, that's a vulnerable question. Now, if he was in faith, remember what I said, the vulnerability of faith starts in your weakness. God, I believed a lie about you. Imagine if Adam had just said that I believed you weren't good enough and you were holding out on us. And when I look at you now, I know that's a lie. I am so sorry. What would history have looked like? But they don't. They do what you and I do. The woman you gave me. You know, a couple of verses before that, he was all like, whoa, man. (laughs) Now he's like, she made me do it. God says to Eve, what have you done? The serpent made me do it. But this is vulnerability. I messed up. I believed a lie and I destroyed our intimacy. But I want it back, God. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13 verse 8 tells us that. And so I believe that tonight, God is asking some of us in this room, where are you? Where are you? I love you. I am good. I want you. Do you want me? Where are you? What are lies that you have believed tonight? Because God wants to give you truth so that you can move back to close proximity to him. And that call, where are you, is a call to come back to intimacy, is a call to come back to love.